0: Racism. Everyone is talking about it, but the media is full of commentary ranging from concern to condemnation that the evangelical church is not good at joining the conversation. Why the struggle? Some sources say it's because of the individualistic approach some Christians take to the scriptures, making them all about personal salvation. But God intends to rescue all of humanity. Does that mean we need to repent as a nation, or that we get a bye if we don't feel we've struggled with the sin of racism? Dana Gresh has been searching her own heart as our nation endures a difficult and painful period of civil unrest. In this message delivered at an outdoor gathering hosted by Center Church, she shared what God has been revealing and makes a few powerful confessions.
1: This morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about my new Bible study, Habakkuk. Isn't it pretty? It's so beautiful. I've never written a Bible study before. This is a part of an assignment from the Christian and Missionary Alliance as I pursue consecration. One of the things I needed to do was outline a book of the Bible. At the same time, my publisher had been begging me for years to write a Bible study, something I've never really been interested in, but I thought, if I have to do the work, I might as well publish it. And so I went to Jonathan, and he's my coach for consecration, and I said, Jonathan, I have a great book of the Bible to outline, and I told him what book of the Bible was. I gave him all these reasons why I should write on that book of the Bible, and he looked at me and goes, nah. I don't think so. Do you have any other books of the Bible that you might write a Bible study on? And I have no idea why, but Habakkuk blurted out of my mouth. I think because growing up, my mom prayed a Bible verse out of Habakkuk over my life. Nobody likes Habakkuk because nobody reads Habakkuk. Nobody even knows where Habakkuk is in the Bible. Why on earth would I write a Bible study on the book of Habakkuk? But as I persevered and obeyed, first of all, I fell in love with this book of the Bible. The foundation of the New Testament, the thesis of the New Testament, that we should walk by faith, not by sight, is rooted in Habakkuk. And And many of the writers in the New Testament quote Habakkuk. And Habakkuk's tentacles are in Daniel and Jonah and Exodus, all over the place. Like, this book of the Bible is really significant. Now, I want you to open your Bibles to it today. But... I won't judge you if you cheat by looking in your table of contents to find out what page it starts on, because we do rarely look at this book of the Bible. We're handing out um, a little questionnaire that that I'd like to send home with you as just a little taste of some of the reflection homework that's in the Bible study. This is one of the big, bigger pieces of reflection homework. But the book of Habakkuk is primarily about how to talk to God during evil times and how to live by faith instead of fear when the world around us is falling apart. Does it seem like it might be an appropriate book for us to look at right now? Specifically, the book starts out with the prophet saying, God, why aren't you doing anything? Don't you see what's happening? And just as Jonathan said a few moments ago, God is at work and we cannot always see everything he's doing. We have to trust him sometimes and that's why we walk by faith and not by fear and the decisions we make right now have to be made by faith, not fear. This very first question on this questionnaire, it's all we're going to get to today because I want to unpack this one. But this is a kind of a quiz to figure out if you've been making decisions based on faith or based on fear. And you really have to look at two sides of that coin to really know where you need to take the blinders off in your own life. But we're only going to do this first one. You are justified in Christ and saved. And the question is, are you mindful of your sin and aware of its impact? The people in Habakkuk's day were not mindful of their sin. I want to read to you very quickly Habakkuk 2 outlines specifically what some of those sins are. And I want to see if you think that maybe this might sound a little bit like us, because I think that maybe it does. One of the sins was selfishness. It's an all-about-me mentality, and I want to be comfortable mentality. The second sin, five sins that God lists about the people at that time. Fake security. They really believed that their bank accounts and their houses and their land was their security. And God, they'd forgotten that God was their provider. Do you think maybe we needed a reminder that God is our provider and that we're getting it right now? The third one is that God was disgusted with the tyrannical power. Power that was corrupt. Power that did not see the value of human life. Power that did not walk in righteousness and consistency. Do you see that in our world right now? The fourth one was exploitation. Exploitation of land, exploitation of animals, and exploitation of people. That people didn't see the value of those things and God was obviously most distressed over their exploitation of other people, especially other people groups. And finally, idolatry was alive and well. Isn't it interesting how during this time, God has taken away all of our idols? Our sports programs, our entertainment, our beauty, our materialism, everything. We don't think we live in an idolatrous world. We don't bow down to idols carved of stone, but we certainly do bow, don't we? And it's on that backdrop that this book is written. But one of the things that, it's not the main theme of the book, but it's a significant thread, is that God began to reveal to me in December of 2019 that I really had some area to grow in loving people that weren't like me. And I wouldn't have said it this way then. What I would have said then is, well, what I would have said then is that God was teaching me to love the nations. Now, the nations at the time we were divided by race because they weren't melting pots like our country is right now. But I would tell people I'm really excited about, I don't know, that God loves all people, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their economic abilities. And I just have this passion and people would look at me and they'd go, huh? And there was just this blank stare, and I had this stirring in my heart to share it. And so finally, I stopped talking about all that, and I just said, well, the book of Habakkuk talks about loving the nations. And then they really weren't interested. But now I begin to understand what I didn't understand then, that God was awakening my heart to connect the dots and helping me to see my sin of racism. And I know that that might, you might think, ugh, that's pretty strong. I don't know if I'm ready to confess that I have a sin of racism. Well, neither was I in January, but I'm getting to that place now. From the very beginning when we started what is now True Girl, I had a very big heart to be inclusive and that every single girl, no matter what she looked like, would, would, would understand that she is a masterpiece created by God. The idea of including everybody has been important to me for a really long time. This is the first True Girl book you see the cover? It's my daughter and her friend Kenny, Some of you may remember Kenny from Malawi. She was a student at Nittany Christian at the time and a very, very good friend of Lexi. Absolutely loved when they had sleepovers and I would watch these two little girls sleeping side by side, dear friends, blind to the color difference. But even though I've been a woman who's really tried to right some of the wrong in our culture by being inclusive, God is showing me that I still have places to grow. And I think that we're very cautious about saying, yes, I have the sin of racism in my heart, but we do realize that God grows us in all areas. Like the area of language is one area where I would have thought at one point in my life that I had pure language. And then the Lord showed me that there were areas of sin I needed to confess. The area of sexuality was an area where at many points of my life I thought I'm living a pure and holy life. And then God revealed to me, no, there's some things I want you to work on. And right now, I want to invite you to step into the idea that maybe, just maybe, this whole conversation about race is not about only our government and our police force, but your heart. Because I, I have this burden that we're very quick To speak out about how everybody else should be living differently but none of us seem to be taking a whole lot of time to figure out what's going on in here and so this morning if you would if you're willing to consider if you're willing to say Lord if there's something in here that needs confessed and righted I would like to leave here today aware of it and confessing it if you're willing to do that would you just stand up I'm gonna ask you to pray a prayer from the book of Habakkuk. It's a very simple prayer. We're going to start and end with it today. It's simply this. I want you to repeat after me. Lord, Lord. make my soul right within me. me. Father, I pray that as we approach you today, that you change us. Our world is really broken. And I'm looking around at this wonderful group of people that I love and not Any of us are in a significant position to change our county or our state or our nation or our world. But each of us has full authority over our own heart. So would you use us, Lord, to start a ripple effect that changes in us would change our county, our nation, our world. In Jesus' name, amen. As I've been reading the conversation, as you have been reading the conversation, the evangelicals are part of the conversation. Something that I noticed is showing up just yesterday in the news is a lot of conversation about why evangelicals are having a hard time engaging in national change. I'll just read to you what NPR wrote, because I think it summarizes it well. Evangelical Christians focus on the need to have a personal relationship with Jesus, to confess one's sins to seek forgiveness. It's about people as individuals. Talking about systemic racism can be difficult. Virgil Walker is an evangelical pastor in Omaha and co-host of a podcast. The most recent episode focused on the killing of George Floyd. Walker, himself African-American, argued that Floyd died because of the sinful behavior of one officer in need of salvation, not because he was victimized as a black man. Okay, I think that um, encapsulates faulty thinking, and I do think that is accurate that many of us as evangelicals try to separate our individual state of heart from the national condition of a heart. And I don't think that we can do that. This is something that I wrote in January in the chapter called Changing the Way You See. The Bible is not about me. That probably does not surprise you. But it's also not about you. And that might come as a bit of a shock. Think about it. I have a tendency to read the scriptures from my own personal perspective. I pick out a psalm when I want to seek comfort. A proverb comes in handy if I need a bit of practical living advice. The Sermon on the Mount is great for feeling blessed. If left to my own devices, I pick and choose what I read and apply. But the Bible is not about us as individuals. It is about the whole world. While it is true that a central theme of the scripture is our personal relationship with God, there is a broader picture that most of us are missing in our self-absorbed approach. The Bible places our personal story into a larger rescue plan, the salvation of all humanity. When you think about at the end of time, the Bible says very clearly, why does it say this? That we will gather together to worship every tribe, every nation, every language. Because the story of the gospel is about the redemption of humanity, and humanity is very broken right now. It's always been broken. We're just very mindful of it right now. If you would indulge me, I have four things that I've learned about racism in the book of Habakkuk, and um, again, I would not have called it that in January. I would have called it nationalism. I would have called it love for the nations, but God is connecting dots for me right now, and I'm learning. The first one is this. The Bible references the sin of racism very often, and it's uglier than we would like to think. The Bible mentions the sin of racism often, and it's uglier than we would like to think. Habakkuk takes you into Egypt. it takes you into Babylon where Daniel is in captivity it takes you into Assyria where Jonah is confronting an evil people group and in every single one of these places you see the word slavery and you see people being controlled and manipulated and made a commodity what I think we're really seeing is the sin of racism every time we see the word slavery in the scriptures. And I want to read to you Habakkuk 1, 14, and 15. Habakkuk is poetry, so what that means is it's very difficult to understand. But what I have also come to understand is that 25% of the Bible is poetry, and that poetry requires us to slow down and be intimate with God. Think about that. It requires us to slow down and be intimate with God. And if you can do that when you come to poetry in the scripture, you're going to have the most beautiful moments of Eureka. I had it over and over again as I studied Habakkuk. I want to read to you this, which I came to understand was about the racism that the nation of Assyria, used to assault all of the nations around it. Assyria was the superpower of the day. If you read about Assyria in historic documentation, they had aqueducts, they had, they had um, a water irrigation system, essentially almost indoor plumbing of a sort, you know? And uh, it's argued most recently that the hanging gardens of Babylon weren't in Babylon at all, but they were the hanging gardens of Nineveh. It was the New York City of the ancient Near East. It was a beautiful, magnificent place. And this is what's written about Assyria and how they treated others in the book of Habakkuk. Verse 14, chapter one, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them and is glad. We don't understand that, but. We go back to the ancient historic documents and we see pictures, drawings of art because the Assyrians loved the way they captured other nations, other races. And what was very common is they would take essentially a large fish hook and stick it in someone's nose and connect them to the person behind them and connect them to the person behind them and connect them to the person behind them. They dragged them like fish To captivity to slavery and it's believed that Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego probably walked the many months journey from Jerusalem to Babylon like that with hooks in their mouth through the desert sand so you see they literally treated people groups of other nations like animals There's one picture that was deeply troubling to me of some dark skinned people. The Assyrian king was very light skinned and he had these two dark skinned people with hooks in their noses as he was gouging out their eyeballs. Very gory, very ugly. The sin was horrific. And what began to happen to me as I was looking at these pictures and studying is my flannel graph mentality of the book of Daniel and Jonah and Egypt started to fade away. These aren't pretty little children's stories. I've been dialoguing with my friends of color, and Kim Cash Tate is one of my friends. And when I was telling her this, she wrote back, I was smiling at the fact that you were seeing so much about the nations that hadn't struck you before. When you're a person of color, things like that tend to jump out at you. I was so encouraged by the fact that you were not only seeing these things, but allowing them to shape how you see our current world. She wrote that to me just a few days ago. And you know what? That's the kind of conversation we need right now. Kind, gentle confrontations that also builds each other up. You see how she built me up in that conversation but also tore down my faulty thinking? That's what we need. The second thing I wanna share with you is this. God invites us to see the sin of racism and speak up. I wanna read to you the verse that my mom prayed over me all those years. It's Habakkuk 1.5. And it says it differently in my Bible than the way my mom prayed it over me. She prayed it over me from the Living Bible, which says, watch and see, watch and see, for I'm about to do things you couldn't believe, even if you tried to imagine them. Some verses say, look and see. But God, when Habakkuk says, don't you see what's happening? And Habakkuk is really crying out of the need for his own nation, right? He's saying, look at our nation. God, will you help us? And he says, look and see. Look and see. I don't want you to see your nation. I want you to see these nations. The book of Habakkuk is an invitation for us to see this stuff and to speak up. This is what took me to the book of Jonah because Uh, I could see that Assyria was mentioned in here. Spoiler alert, Assyria is not the big foe in the book of Habakkuk. It, It turns out to be the Babylonians. But there's a lot of reference to Assyria because that's what Habakkuk could see at the time. Remember, he is prophesying about what will happen. It hasn't happened yet. So those fish hooks haven't been put in Daniel's nose yet. They will be put in Daniel's nose. He's prophesying that it will happen. And I wondered, well, this is interesting. If God is telling Habakkuk to look and see the other nations and care about them and regard them, it took me back to my flannel graph story of Jonah, that sweet story of Jonah being swallowed by a whale, spit out, told the people, don't do the stuff. And then everybody says, I don't want to do the bad stuff anymore and everything's right. But that's not how the story goes, except if you're five years old and seeing it in flannel graph. So I went to the book of Jonah, and I want to read to you Jonah 1, 1 and 2. And I encourage you to read Jonah this week and consider how you're entering into the conversation of the sin of racism in our culture right now. Because I think this book has a lot to say to us. In Jonah 1, 1 and 2, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. And so as evil and as horrific as they were, God still loved them and wanted to give them a second chance. And you know what I'd like to say about us right now? God is giving us a second chance. God is giving us a chance to treat people differently, to examine our own hearts, and to live in a way that honors his people, each and every one of them, as masterpieces created by God. You know, I wanted to do a little bit of digging to see why was Jonah so loath to go? Isn't that what a, a prophet does? They go and say, hey, don't be bad anymore. Don't make God come down here, because he will. And so I kept digging. And the ancient city of Nineveh was a tourist destination. People loved to go there. So why didn't Jonah say, hey, I got called to New York City. This is pretty awesome, you know? He didn't do that. He runs in the other direction, why? One historian wrote this. Though the Assyrian armies were respected and feared, they were most of all hated. Why? Because they were fueled by racism and hate. That's what I found in the history books. They were the bullies on the block in the Near East. And they were fueled by racism and hate. Now, here's the thing that I have to say about that and this is gonna be uncomfortable for some people because this conversation is difficult, but God loves and wants to rescue the racists. God loves and wants his plan of salvation for men who hold their knees on the necks of other men made in the image of God. God's message of judgment was a second chance. You know what? Judgment and redemption almost always in the scriptures run on parallel tracks. And the judgment that we're seeing in our country right now is an opportunity for revival and redemption. If we search our own hearts. But here's the thing. Most of us are Jonah. We want to bury our head in the sand. We want to get in our boat and go the other direction because we don't wanna be a part of this conversation. It's too difficult, it's too ugly, and after all, they don't deserve God's redemption. They don't deserve God's rescue. Isn't that right? Have you seen it? Is it in your own heart? We wanna bury our head in the sand, but God is at work right now. And you know what? The biggest work that he wants to do right now is not stopping the coronavirus. The biggest work he wants to do is not fixing our economy, although there's good news over the weekend that it's, it's going to rectify itself rather quickly. He does not, the first work, and this is not politically correct, the first work that he wants to do is not to fix all of racism in all the world. And guys, we have lit a match across the globe from our sin. The first work he wants to do is in your heart. I think he sent Jonah because Jonah had the sin of racism in his heart. Oh, it wasn't as ugly as the sin of the Assyrians, but it was there. And he sent him to take a message. You know, it's interesting that when he does finally get there, he doesn't deliver it with a good heart. Brings me to point three. God loves all people and gives each of us second chances to love like he does. God loves all people. He loved the Assyrians. He loved Jonah. And he saw that they both had some sin. One of them was pretty horrific and, and gory. One of them was pretty nice and made him look good. But they both had sin, pride in them, Jonah finally shows up in Nineveh and he delivers a message. It's five words long. Five words. That's all he can get out. You know how when, you know, like you're, you're a kid and you're fighting with your brother or your sister and your mom's like, you have to apologize. And you're like, sorry. Like, like it was that, it was that, it was like, I know I'm supposed to say something big and eloquent. And I'm supposed to say I'm sorry because I did this. But you all we, all you can get out is sorry. Because your attitude stinks. Just like Jonah's body probably stunk when he got out of that fish. Well, Jonah's attitude stunk when he delivered his message to Nineveh. Five words. He doesn't even mention God in those words. He basically says in English. In, it's five words in Hebrew. In English, he basically says, in 40 days you'll be destroyed. Bad attitude. Why? Because his sin... His sin looked a little nicer, but God was trying to assault the sin of Jonah's inability to see another people group as having value. I wanna define racism for you. I think we need to do that. I think it's good to have a vocabulary lesson right now. Racism, prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed at an individual or group of people of different ethnicity based on the belief that your ethnicity is superior. Anyone in here not struggle with that? Anyone in here have no moments in their entire life that you thought you were superior? I wouldn't pick up any stones if I were you. This sin was alive and well in Jonah. He judged an entire people group. There were probably good people in that city. You know that? I have a friend who's a Syrian. She lives in California. She translates the Biblical content from a ministry I'm associated with into the primary language of the Middle East, Farsi, spoken mostly by Muslim women so that they will know the love of Jesus Christ and they will know that their lives have value in a very misogynistic culture, that their lives have value. You know, she's a Syrian. Somewhere way down the line, that sweet woman who loves Jesus had a grandparent, a grandmother, a grandfather in Nineveh when Jonah went there. There were good people in Nineveh. God loves all people and gives each of us chances to love like he does. When I found that, that was about the time I got overwhelmed with God's love for all the people groups. And it was kind of a eureka moment for me. I'd never really realized how much God loved Nineveh. Confession number one, he was forgiving towards both the Assyrians whose sin in part included racism, they had other stuff that they needed to deal with, and the prophet who was demonstrating the same sin, but in a nicer way. And I've been troubled by some of the conversations I've heard because it sounds like like Jonah, but I've heard comments like this. There is racism against the black people, but black people fill in the blank. Oh, I just got real. There, Yeah, but white people fill in the blank. Yeah, but the Chinese people didn't tell us about the coronavirus. Listen, no, some Of the chinese people didn't tell us about the coronavirus do you know what some of the chinese people do they they were christians who were risking their lives going into the streets handing out masks and food and help to and shelter to people didn't have homes risking their lives in the first day of this there were good people there but the cultural conversation has been a little bit racist and this is not the time for us to say yeah but this is the time for us to say God is doing something what part does he want me to play in it last year we had a master class associated with our ministry. I kept saying it's a very white audience we need more people of color in this audience it's a very small event only a few like like a few dozen people but... Part of what we're doing is trying to bring healing in all areas, including the area of the division in churches denominationally and the division in people by race. And so I kept saying, we will recruit. We will find them. We will find women of color, men of color who want to be a part of this. Did we do that? We did that. Brownie points for Dana, right? No. You know what the Lord showed me in the last few weeks? One of those women left my farm last year at the end of the event early And she emailed me and said, I'm sorry that I left early in the middle of all of that wonderful sharing, but you have to understand, as a black woman in state college, it's very frightening for me to drive on those dark country roads alone at night. And I thought that was an overreaction. Confession number two. That's my sin of racism. Because God wants me to see and understand her pain. God wants me to see and understand and not just have her show up. So, that I get the brownie point of this is a diverse crowd of women. He wants me to see how my heart needs to change. Guys, listen to me. I know that a lot of you have been posting things on social media, but I want to ask you because some of the things you're posting are how this group should do this different. That group should do that different. How should you do things different? Have you taken any time to say, Lord, what is my sin? I got down on my knees this morning because I didn't want to come here and and deliver this to you. And I confessed the sin that I didn't understand my sister's fear. And I will call her this week and have a conversation and ask for her forgiveness. I have not done that yet. And you know what? I said this. I said, Lord, make my soul right within me because I'm pretty sure that if I was blind to that, I've probably been blind to other things. I am Jonah. I sin nicely. Do you? The last thing that I want to share with you is righteous people who live by faith do not accept, embrace, or embody racism which is rooted in pride. Habakkuk invited me to, I'm gonna read this. Habakkuk invited me to take a deep dive into the racial, national, and political unrest found in the books of Exodus, Jonah, and Daniel. But I was surprised to discover that the Old Testament writer provided Paul with the backbone of the New Testament. I think this will sound familiar. Habakkuk 2.4 reads, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not right within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Does that sound familiar to you? We find it all through the New Testament. Romans, James, James, Galatians, multiple places, Hebrews, where we're told to walk by faith, not by sight, and certainly not by fear. If that second part of the verse is really important, we probably shouldn't take an exacto knife and ignore the first part of it, right? Because that first part of the verse is referring to the nation of Assyria and their horrific sin of not valuing God's people as image bearers. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It would have been said if, maybe I could say it this way, this is Dana's paraphrase, if your soul is full of pride like Nineveh, it's not right. But if you are righteous, you will live by faith. The strong contrast is this, you cannot walk in faith and walk in pride. The two are diametrically opposed to one another, and much of Habakkuk is about pride, and is about confessing pride, and is about cleansing your heart of it and taking an intimate, poetic, difficult to find look into the eyes of God and inviting him to cleanse your heart of it. And the root of racism is pride. And I have a lot of it. And I would dare say that you do too. Because the root of every sin is pride. Perhaps it's not a mistake that God is allowing us to explode in our nation right now. Maybe he wants us cleansed. Maybe he wants me cleansed. Maybe he wants you you cleansed. I'm coming to understand that we have a lot of prejudice in our heart. I'm thankful that the Lord started softening me up towards it earlier this year. It's made the conversation a little easier for me to walk into. But I wanna challenge you not to post anything or enter into the conversation anymore unless you're willing to say, Lord, make my soul right within me. Because listen, when you look back in Exodus, most of the people, they were moving righteously to give value to the Hebrew people who were oppressed, enslaved, and and the victim of racism. But only one person was called to speak to Pharaoh about it, Moses. You know what, I think we all think we're Moses. We're not, we're not. We need to pray that the Moseses in our nation will be risen up, they will rise up, and they will righteously say what needs to be said. But you and I, we just need to get our own hearts right. So please don't post anything else on Facebook or Instagram unless you first ask the Lord, show me my sin. Lord, make my soul right within me. I wanna close with this. My friend Danette, who some of you know, read this speech for me and i said i had several women of color read it as well as several women who are my color and we all read it and they helped me refine it and danette wrote this back to me some of our ninevehs are close by like someone who owes you rent but is haunting the life meaning spending having fun on facebook It would be hard to bring the message of Jesus to them, but that may just be the assignment. Some may be far away like the people who blew up the World Trade Center. Does that Nineveh deserve to hear the message of salvation? Nineveh may be a white police officer who killed a black man and who needs to hear the love of Jesus and be offered salvation. Who will carry the message? Who will go to this Nineveh? God will. God's will is that all should come to repentance. All may not, but our assignment is to deliver the message and let God worry about the outcome. May the first Nineveh to hear the message of repentance be the one residing in my own heart so that I may be entrusted to bring the message of God's truth and his love because I live by faith free of being puffed up. Would you close your eyes one more time and pray this prayer out loud? Lord, make my soul right within me.
0: That's Dana Gresh encouraging each of us to examine our own souls for any shred of racism and confess it. Her soul-searching began as she studied the ancient book of Habakkuk to write a newly released Bible study. Learn more at DanaGresh.com. This conversation was taped at a small outdoor gathering for Center Church, Dana's home congregation. It has been produced by Pure Freedom Ministries.